Swinet. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. I think just having the system up and running, uh, if we think about African swine fever and you know if we have an outbreak tomorrow, uh, just being able to communicate in a timely manner. Swine podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Gestalt, always one step ahead in swine feeding, Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool, NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions, Zimpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance, and Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to Swineed Podcast. My name is Marcel Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode sponsor highlight is about Genesis. Genesis is the largest independent producer of high health registered purebred swine in the globe, having over 80% of all registered purebred breeding stock in Canada. The Genesis genetic program uses genomic selection strategies focused on productivity, faster growth, efficiency, high yield, and lead quality. To know more, go to genesis.com. Hello, everyone. Today, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Andrea Arruda, and we'll get uh, her thoughts on tackling emerging diseases with producer-driven monitoring systems. Uh, we are living a very special time in the history of uh, swine production around the globe with the challenges in, uh, with uh, African swine fever, um, in Asia in general, a little bit in Europe, and, um, and of course, North America, South America, and other places need to be very prepared uh, to, to handle that. So with that said, uh, how are you today, Andrea? I'm very good, Marcy. Thank you very much for the invitation. Appreciate your time uh, to being here with us today. And uh, without further ado, um, tell us about yourself. How did you get involved with pig production and also epidemiology and, and etc.? Sure. So I'm originally from Brazil. Uh, I did my DVM in Brazil and wanted to work with cats and dogs, as 90% of our students do. Mm -hmm. um, I found swine production uh, super interesting on my third year of vet school and decided to come to the United States to work in a farm. So I was a staff on a 1200 Farrow to Wind facility in Minnesota. Um, this is how I got some hands-on experience and also fell in love with research and data-driven decisions to inf the data to inform decisions in swine production. Um, so after I went back to Brazil, finished my DVM, I decided to pursue a master's um, in infectious disease epidemiology. Uh, and then that led to a PhD, uh, particularly with PERS virus. And this is when I got to work with uh, and get to know more about these disease control projects. Uh, after my PhD, I went back to Minnesota where everything kind of started. And I did a one-year postdoc with Dr. Bob Morrison at the University of Minnesota. And from there, uh, I got this assistant professor position here at Ohio State University, where I just completed a, a little over two years now. 
Very nice. It uh, it went by fast. Yeah, I remember when you just joined uh, Ohio State, and uh, very nice. Um, so tell us a little bit of uh, what what is a disease control program and, and how do they work? Yeah, so disease control program programs started coming around uh, with PERS, of course, um, because since this is not a reportable disease, uh, I think producers and veterinarians felt the need of having a way to track disease and understand disease over time. Uh, so these projects, I, I like to say that they come in different flavors. Um, I've been closely connected to two or three of them, and they vary a little bit, but I think overall they're mostly voluntary in nature, and they're very much industry-driven. So it's producers, it's vets coming together and say, hey, we want to do this, we want to share data um, to learn more about disease or diseases of interest. Uh, usually these projects, they this basically a lot of systems or producers or vet clinics even sharing data on disease occurrence over time. And their objective is basically to understand the prevalence and uh, possibly even uh, risk factors for disease. Uh, usually I would say they have the main objective of reducing such prevalence, of course, and decreasing the risk of transmission of disease. Also monitoring the disease trends over time and understanding what is normal, for instance, for PERS, what is normal and what is abnormal, uh, when can we potentially be talking about an outbreak. And of course, uh, with all this data that is gathered, uh, hopefully the goal, the main goal would be also to support design and implementation of uh, adequate control strategies uh, based on what people have been learning uh, sometimes over years. And better prepare the industry for a potential emerging disease uh, would also be a kind of a, an, an extra gain from, from sharing data and having these communication uh, channels. Very good. Yeah, those are very uh, important uh, initiatives. Um, can you give us a, a few examples of those uh, programs? Yeah, so uh, I think this pro these programs originally started as regional, so it would be uh, you know, the north of Minnesota, so a part of a state, and then they, they kind of expanded. So there are two projects that I am pretty familiar with since I worked with both of them. Um, so the first one is the nationwide project MSHMP out of Minnesota, so the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project. Uh, that is, I think, the largest project uh, perhaps in the whole world. They started with tracking PERS virus incidents, and then they expanded to PED, Seneca virus, A virus, and even neurological syndromes. Uh, that project accumulated almost 10 years worth of data as of oh. today. Yeah, and they have over 50% of the U.S. South population represented in there, so it's obviously a very powerful tool. Mm. Um, like I said, these projects will vary a little bit. So this project does not include any uh, mapping, I would say, is not their, their, their main thing. Uh, they're mostly sharing disease incidents over time, and that goes actually out uh, publicly for PERS. Um, but there's no mapping platform readily available. I know they do that for specific systems if they wish, and they work together with systems for, for different tools. but. It's not how they started. Uh, and that project particularly had uh, different funding mechanisms involved, and it's run through the University of Minnesota. The other project that I was connected through my PhD years uh, was the Ontario uh, RKE project, so Area Regional Control and Elimination Projects. 
this is a statewide uh, project. Uh, it started a little later than the one from Minnesota. It started around 2013. And same thing, they started with PERS and then uh, kind of expanded as we had some other disease challenges in our industry. It currently has over 60% of Ontario's cell population, which is big because Ontario, I believe, is the second largest pig producer in Canada, second or third. Uh, and this project started as, their, their main goal was mapping. So they have a very active mapping system, uh, which is accessible by vets and enrolled producers. And they have a very active disease notice system as well. So veterinarians, producers, and even service providers are using that in a routine basis to see where the most recent outbreaks are at and maybe uh, what they can do to try and decrease the risk of getting an outbreak uh, on the farms. Um, so both of those projects, they have periodic reports that either uh, are kept on a more private circle or sometimes they can go public. Um, so those are two examples um, of what I think are, are pretty impressive projects that are still going on uh, and have completed a couple of years. Very good. Great projects. Uh, I'm a little more familiar with the Minnesota one, not so much from the Canadian, but that's, that sounds very good. Um, how do you see these platforms helping in the case of an emerging disease? Um, so I think there are kind of two parts to that. I think for the first benefit that this uh, these projects can bring to preparedness is that they they do a lot of validation. So I think we kind of learned it the hard way that uh, we are not amazing in having prem IDs connected to one facility. Um, so this is one of the things, just finding out the exact addresses and you know differentiating from producers' home address versus actual facility or farm or different barns and how do those separate. I think it's something that for sure, just going through that validation pro uh, process uh, to organize things for this project has been extremely helpful for, for producers and vets. Um, and the other thing is that I think just having the system up and running, uh, if we think about African swine fever and, you know, if we have an outbreak tomorrow, uh, just being able to communicate in a timely manner. And we also know that because of the incubation period, uh, we actually may have uh, a bunch of cases around the same time. So just disseminating this information and being proactive in terms of how can I prevent this thing right away. Uh, there are going to be other prevention measures coming from government and other entities, but what producers uh, can do in the field to prevent and to uh, help protect in their farms, I think a project like this that offers this platform and this communication channels could be extremely important for us to just get the information out there um, with the sharing. Very nice. So I was just uh, thinking about um you know, uh, I know the example of Brazil that you are also very familiar with. Uh, I'm not aware of a, a similar system in Brazil. Is there one there or not yet? Not that I am aware of either. Right. I don't think so. So, so in countries like Brazil and, and others uh, that don't have that yet, what, what do you think are the first uh, few steps to establish that? Yeah, so I know uh, Mexico, for example, have some projects. And usually, you know, it's it's kind of the... It has to be producer driven and so veterinarians and producers need to be on board. So I don't think a good way uh, for this to happen would be myself, a researcher coming and saying, hey guys, mm. I want to help you out. I think right. this has to be something coming from them. 
-hmm. And then I think the universities and other institutions uh, have the ability to help with the platform and organization of information and even analysis in the later stages. But I do think that a very important component for these projects to be successful is that they do have to come from the producers and the veterinarians. So I think the first steps would be to present to them, you know, how do these projects help you or how they may. And then just we do need a leader. We need a leader directly connected on the uh, boots on the ground type of person that is proactive and that is very engaging and enthusiastic as well. I think those are very important components for a project like this to be successful. Very nice. Makes total sense. Um, any insights on how to make uh, this program sustainable in the long run? And, and if you can give us a few examples of that as well. Sure. Yeah, I think there, there has to be some commitment from everyone, right? So uh, periodic meetings are, are very important because it, it keeps people engaged. It, keep, it keeps people up to date on what's happening and what the needs are. Let's say maybe we want to include a new disease or maybe we want to set up a special workshop. So I think uh, producer and veterinarian uh, meetings are very important to keep this going. You know, if, if it's every six months or every three or four months, I think that there has to be that commitment there. Uh, I think this helps sustainability because you kind of keep updated uh, needs uh, in sight. Uh, another thing that we learned with our pro the, pro the two projects I mentioned is that uh, giving producers and vets a meaning, a meaning to the data they're sharing in other words, giving it back to them uh, is very important. So you can imagine these data sets are huge. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the times they don't only have, have disease incidents, but also some demographics such as farm size. And they have their geographical location, which allows us to actually have a lot of information in regards to uh, terrain characteristics or weather parameters. So I think using those things uh, to inform, for example, what are the risk factors for these disease? What are some protective factors? These are a couple of things that we've been doing, uh, particularly with PERS, uh, and that people have found it helpful. And then they'd be more willing to share information because they actually see that, well, let's say people from the universities, they're look, they looking into that and actually uh, producing some research and uh, applicable research for, for people that are on the ground and need those answers. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Any uh, Anything else before we move to the three questions we ask every guest? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I'd be happy to give you some examples of things a little bit more precise on what we did. Um, if that's of interest, I could give you some examples on purse and what we did using the da those data set. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So a few things that we did was, for example, we we could ass assess area spread and what is what was the importance of that on per spread. Oh. So in other words, you know, if I have a positive neighbor, am I more likely to be positive? And we did that uh, with the Canadian data set and we saw that that was not always true. Uh, we could see some clusters of disease or so some hotspots. But at the end of the day, we didn't really see that having a neighbor close by would increase your risk of being positive for PERS. So this was kind of unexpected for, for the Canadian folks. And that really brought us the idea that maybe, you know, biosecurity is really important and uh, you can prevent PERS from getting into your herd that is actually under your 
control. It's not only uh, it's spread by the area and there's nothing I can do. So I think that that attitude change was really important for us. It was a good lesson from some of these analysis that we did. Yeah, and the other intriguing one, and this is one is from the Minnesota data. Uh, we were and this this question that came from a producer. Uh, he was asking us whether terrain slope uh, was important for purse risk, as well as having trees around. Uh, we know from the poultry industry that trees could be protective uh, from a variety of pathogens. So we uh, we hadn't done that for purse before this producer came came up with this idea. And that's something that the data set allow us to, to go in and look without much more effort in gathering data. The data was already there, uh, a couple hundred farms, so pretty decent sample size for an epidemiologist like me that gets us excited. So we could go in and we actually saw that trees could be protective. And I mean, there's a bunch mm -hmm. of hypotheses as to mm -hmm. why that might be the case. But I think a lot of these data sets are, are now available and in conjunction with public data, we can make a lot of sense and um, and get some answers to to our producers. Very nice, very good, exciting stuff for epidemiologists. <laughs> Definitely, we are all about the data. So the more projects, the the better. So cool! Thanks so much, Andrea. The truth is, precision swine production is not the future; it's the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20 minutes demonstration at www.everypig.co. It is time to our famous three. Uh, well, now we can jump into the three questions we ask every guest. So the first one is, uh, what's your favorite swine related book? Okay, I have to go with the classic for that one and say diseases of swine <laughs> because okay. I think that's kind of my Bible. I keep going back there uh, when I have to remind myself of a disease that I haven't seen in a while, maybe since vet school. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I, I would go with that one for that question. Very nice. Very good book. Uh, how about a book that is not related to pigs? A uh, book not related to pigs that I uh, read recently is called The Paradox of Choice. It's from Barry Schwartz. And I think that uh, in today's world, when we have a lot of choices, uh, I think that that was a really nice book that explains a little bit behind the psychology of having too much, too many choices and how sometimes that can drive us a little crazy and the whole strategy behind that. So I highly recommend that. I recommend that book. Very interesting. Huh. And uh, what separates successful swine professionals from those that are not? Oh, I think um, I had a couple of mentors that always told me that uh, they can be super experienced and uh, have a lot of knowledge, but you always have to keep an open mind. And I think questioning things and double questioning things and looking for answers is, is the best characteristics that, that one could have. Um, I think I, I do have projects because as an epidemiologist, I do have projects with different uh, animal species and every day I'm learning something different with a different commodity or maybe it's a different geographical region. So I think keeping an open mind and always being willing to learn with others, even if they're less experienced than you in the field, I think would be, is a good attitude for any successful swine person. Open mind. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Andrea. Um, 
your time is very appreciated uh, i'm sure our audience is also going to enjoy a lot uh, this episode and um, very important topic uh, hopefully we can uh, keep uh, the countries that are free from asf we can can keep that going and uh, we will need uh, your help if not <laughs> that sounds good i'll be ready thank you so much martin <laughs> for inviting me thanks andrea